Hey there, Randy here from What's Up the Sports Podcast. Please note the following is part two of my one-on-one interview with contributor Tony Antonio. If you didn't catch the first half, that is available for download. Uh, What we had discussed was how the Canadian Football League and the Canadian Premier League of Soccer may be requesting funds from the federal government as their seasons may not take place on time, which have uh, generated criticism. Here's part two with Tony. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Uh, There was a story that was uh, reported that uh, members of the Canadian Women's Hockey League has raised criticism uh, that should a bailout take place or any sort of financial assistance uh, for uh, the CFL or the CPL that uh, they didn't get any assistance uh, during their uh, final season of operation. Uh, one former player did uh, say that uh, they were uh, asking for peanuts compared to especially the 150 million bucks that the uh, CFL has uh, requested for. Tony, what did you think uh, about this? Uh, in, obviously, hey, hindsight is what it is. Uh, is there a point there in terms of should uh, the federal government have stepped in for, I guess, the CWHL? Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if your business model isn't doing well, and, I mean, let's face it, there, there hasn't been a ton of interest, I don't see why the government should help. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not 100%, you know, um, versed on, on how, you know, these women's hockey leagues are working, but I, the NHL had nothing to do with it. Am I, am I correct? Like, they weren't, they, they weren't helping out much like the NBA does uh, the yeah. WNBA? I think that there was some sort of financial assistance from the NHL a couple of years ago, but the problem for me stems the fact that there were two uh, hockey leagues, uh, two women's hockey leagues uh, at that time. Both of them, I believe, has ceased operations. And if uh, one is still uh, in uh, kicking around, I, it just really didn't do a service of uh, of garnering attention. And you know, I don't know about you, and if you remembered uh, when IndyCar uh, and Cart uh, broke apart and they uh, started two leagues, that was the beginning of the end for me. I personally am not a car. A car racing fan or a car guy at uh, by any stretch, but yeah, I did have interest for Scott Goodyear and Paul Tracy, and uh, obviously when Jacques Villeneuve went into F one. But when uh, there were rival leagues, uh, I just completely lost interest. I, I think uh, to me the question stems on what would the ROI be for federal or even provincial government to assist something like the CWHL. I mean, for a guy like yourself, you have daughters, uh, and uh, whether they play sports or not, uh, I I mean, I don't really know. But you would think that this is uh, some initiative that is of value. Um, Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think if we weren't living in these times right now, maybe it would have been given more uh, consideration, I guess. now, Toronto just got an expansion team to some other league, which, honestly, again, like, I apologize, I can't give you, like, I'm not well-versed in this, but wasn't Toronto just given uh, an expansion team in another women's league, which a lot of, you know, the regular mainstay ladies aren't big fans of this league? I mean, I'm not sure. 
what league this is, but uh, Toronto apparently has been, they've got no home, they've got no name, they've got no anything really, but they've been awarded an expansion team. Yeah, I'm taking a look here and it looks like it's the uh, National Women's Hockey League. So, so now... Uh, that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, the rival league. And you, know, you, you just saw what the WNBA brought. And yeah, it's not at the same level as uh, the NBA, but there are a lot of recognizable names, and they're, and they're starting to come up through the ranks. The uh, uh, ladies' division of the NCAA is uh, getting a lot more attention. You think of uh, Sabrina, Sabrina uh, Ionescu from Oregon. She is uh, looks to be like one of the standout players uh, in women's basketball. And of course, the WNBA. I believe it's been around for 25 years. Now, my personal problem, and I guess we're we're going off topic here, but I think the problem stems from the fact that. We always know the end of the story. When it comes to a women's hockey tournament, it's always Canada-USA. Now, that, in terms of, uh, as you were talking about before, in terms of the, uh, the business model and the lack of, uh, the lack of uh, how, the, uh, how women's hockey is uh, rec- unrecognizable, I think by having uh, a, a domestic league, uh, and of course uh, enhancing uh, the skill level, especially in uh, in places like Europe, I think that would be a huge difference. But I mean, getting back to uh, financial assistance and so on, I guess at the end of the day, uh, the CFL, the CPL, whatever women's hockey league, they're not at the same level as the NHL and the NBA. And of course, we miss it all like crazy, but. I would sort of lean towards uh, government assistance, providing that they are able to extend their hand to other industries and uh, general uh, general public industries uh, also. But I think that there is a lot of benefit uh, that communities do experience with uh, with sports. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add on, but no, I I, I agree with you. I mean. When you're talking about grassroots stuff, absolutely. When if we're talking about actually supporting a pro league, um, I don't know if it's one and the same. To be honest with you, like I'm sure government can pitch money in for grassroots stuff and and help young athletes train and get to the Olympics and stuff. But I mean, the WNBA enjoys a lot of support from the NBA. They kind of you know intertwine. You have former NBA players coaching these women's teams. The names, you know, the logos of the respective teams are, you know, they're, uh, you know, another name for, like, Lakers or something. Yeah, variation of it, yeah. you got different... So there's a connection there, and there's something to hang on to. I mean, I don't know if the NHL has really hitched their wagon onto any of these women's leagues, like, really, truly. So I, I think we probably would want to start there first and see what the NHL trying. I know there are a lot of guys, like I know Ty Domi is a staunch supporter of women's hockey and he's really trying to get the word out there and help and get support, which is an admirable thing. There's no question about it, but I think, you know, relying on the government to do it might, might be a, you know, might be a game you're not going to win. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, uh, as you uh, may have mentioned before, uh, that, uh, Obviously, the uh, the visibility isn't there, but uh, provide a 
uh, legitimate business business model, and then uh, I could see some really good things. Uh, there's a lot of potential there for uh, for women and and hockey and and the enha- and, uh, the further uh, enhancement of basketball. But uh, going on to uh, the professionals, uh, uh, the uh, more recognizable leagues, for lack of a better term, with the NHL and the NBA, uh, of course, they were well into their seasons uh, before the uh, coronavirus uh, uh, halted their seasons. Uh, give or take, they were about two-thirds in. And uh, Major League uh, Soccer, which, of course, uh, you and I uh, crossed paths uh, at uh, B- uh, TFC's uh, home opener, Baseball didn't start yet, and... It was like one year ago. Right? Yeah, sure does. I mean, two months ago sure definitely feels like two, uh, like uh, one year ago, absolutely. Uh, what are the options? Uh, do you, uh, obviously, there's been a number of scenarios that could take place uh, with the various leagues, whether it comes to neutral site locations uh, in terms of hockey, uh, potential for Saskatoon, North Dakota... Uh, baseball, of course, with their spring training infrastructure, could potentially play in Florida and Arizona. Is there something that jumps out to you? None of it. None of it, to be honest with you. I mean, if, if I had my druthers, I would say cancel it. Just cancel it and, and, you know, take this time to do everything we can to flatten the curve or whatever whatever other hashtag we're all throwing out there uh, during this COVID-19 time and, and just hopefully try and get back to getting ready for next season, hopefully with fans, although if you listen to, you know, the doom and gloom squad out there that, you know, we shouldn't have fans in seats for the next two years. But, you know, I don't see any scenario that works because the fear is always, oh, what if one guy tests positive, right? And and the second one someone tests positive, the pressure and the backlash that these leagues are going to get from the media, from, you know, from... You know, people out there, like yourself, Randy, I mean, we spoke, you said that, you know, you you haven't gone out much, you, you have concerns, you have a bit of a fear, which is understandable, you know, there's a lot of people in your, in, in the same boat as you who, you know, don't know what to think and just, you know, are trying to be so cautious. And, and if one or two people, you know, test positive, it's, it's going to be, you know, end of the world and... Are you going to shut it down again uh, the second something happens? It, to me, it just it feels like all these contingency plans, which is what you need. You know, I'm not criticizing these leagues for trying to find a solution to try and finish the season, but none of it seems to make any sense to me. As long as the fear is there, as long as that, you know, that that feeling that you know, one or two tests and, and that, that's it. You know, let's shut it down. How can they be playing? How can the NHL be so insensitive? You know, I don't see it working. I, you know, I think the best thing to do is, is for the NBA and the NHL to just shut it down, cancel it, wait for next season, try and start it up again. Um, MLB and Major League Soccer, there's a chance. There's really a chance for Major League Baseball. I think we'll see baseball um, here in the near future. July 1st is, seems to be the popular date giving them time to, um, you know, to do some more quarantining because that's all we need is, is you know, another three, four weeks of quarantining as well as, um, you know, some spring training, allowing pitchers to get into their flow again. 
Yeah, but you know what you you uh, you bring an interesting point about baseball, and I guess the the dis the physical distance uh, teams are uh, you know opposing teams are as opposed to how close a sport like soccer is, as well as hockey. I guess with as well as every other uh, every other team sport. But think about. Uh, the 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 equipment that is being used you are sharing potentially a similar ball uh like with tennis for example uh tennis that one tennis ball goes to player a then player b then it goes to a ball boy and ball girl and then are you are you doing yourself any favors and you know for a guy like myself who really uh took to um uh, clean, uh, cleaning, uh, washing my hands, and so on, and uh, uh, wearing gloves, uh, especially when uh, the uh, coronavirus and uh, social distancing uh, really came into effect. Uh, it was a real challenge uh, to uh, appreciate the fact that my hand touched uh, a commonplace surface. Now you can't uh, touch. Uh, I mean, you can't really touch your face until you wash your hands again. And, of course, the how thorough you're supposed to wash your hands, I mean, that uh, is obviously up for interpretation. So I, I think you do have a point that there should be, um, that there should probably be a, a cancellation, at least in terms of hockey and and, uh, and basketball. I, for one, uh, am not really uh, for neutral site locations. I mean, if Saskatoon is able to yeah. hold a... a a sporting event, then there's no reason why Toronto or Winnipeg or anybody else can. Uh, that that doesn't really make sense to me at all. I mean, hey, kudos to uh, trying to uh, flush out any idea any idea possible. But I, I mean, I, I think that there is something to playing in front of an empty uh, arena and stadium. I mean, you're a big soccer fan. I, you see it all the time in Europe, and uh, you know whether it is. Uh, Due to civil conflict, or I, I guess uh, off the top of my head, that really is the main reason why. Uh, well, there's also been there's also been some games that have been played in empty stadiums because of you know fans' racial abuse of a player or what have you. Right. So I mean, like, uh, and to that, and uh, whether your uh, favorite team uh, was a part of uh, playing in front of an empty stadium. I mean, did you lose any? Um, uh, enjoyment in watching the game? I'm guessing no. I, actually, the last the last organized game I watched live was uh, was a Europa League game between Manchester United and a Belgian team whose name eludes me right now. But that was the last time I watched a live sporting event. It was it was the Thursday afternoon. I think it was the day after that. You know, Rudy Gobert's positive test. Right was announced and then the next day the NHL shut down but during that day I was still watching you you know you, you, you could still watch that game and um, you know it, it was sports I enjoyed watching it I mean it's something that you would have to get used to at the start can I get used to it for you know for an extended period of time I, I think it would lose some luster for me personally I just I so, like so, 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 like so, watching so, it with fans in the seats right and I like being a fan so you mean to tell me that if uh, Sid uh, and the Penguins uh, clinch uh, the playoff spot, and if the first round of the playoffs, let's say, is in the uh, in front of uh, nobody, if it is in front of an empty arena, you're still gonna lose. You you are gonna lose a little bit of uh, 
There is something oh, lost. A win is a win. Winning a cup is winning a cup. If you're a fan of the team, um, you you roll with the punches. There's no question about it. But it, it, there's something to, different, right? Like about playing in front of no fans. Can you imagine after 50 plus years, the Leafs win the Stanley? Oh, I I am praying. I am praying that that, that won't happen. That, that's crazy. Just think yeah. about it. Like think about how huge the Raptor parade was. So take the Leaf Parade and multiply that by, you know, 10. Sure. Um, and, but you won't be able to do it. Sure. Sure, absolutely. And, hey, uh, now, obviously, uh, and uh, respectfully, I, I know that you have a different point of view in terms of um, how strict uh, certain measures should be uh, in this current day and time. But, hey, as a, as a big Leaf fan, and I know that you do have an appreciation for the Leafs, uh, but... Yeah, there. Fans have been waiting a long time for a proper Stanley Cup parade, and well, obviously, a, a an appearance in the final would be uh, great in the yeah. first place. But um, if the coronavirus and if social distancing is still in the in effect, the NHL gets back, and lo and behold, the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. That would be an absolute disaster on many levels. I mean. Uh, if you remember when the New Jersey Devils uh, won the Stanley Cup, uh, I think it was uh, from a 48-game regular season. I mean, there was an asterisk on that too. And any opportunity fans have to uh, hate on the Leafs, uh, that would just uh, uh, you know put the put the icing on uh, cherry on top for for sure. Um, Tony, just very quickly and finally, uh, you know, in in a general sense. Um, Nobody has seen anything like this. Uh, it's getting close to two months now uh, since sports leagues have shut down, since the majority of the general public, at least in North America, has started to work from home, if that was even an option. Um, have you personally learned anything, uh, whether it's sports-related or just anything that jumped out of the page at you? Um, have I learned anything? I, you know... Nothing has, like I said, nothing has changed for me because I get up and go to work every day. Um, but, but what I have learned is that, you know, having an alternate opinion, first of all, just watching how political this thing has gotten is kind of disgusting. But, you know, having an alternate opinion to this thing, you can't have an opinion anymore, right? Like, there, there can't be a debate discussion. You either have to look at it from one extreme end or another extreme end. If, you, if you're somewhere gray or if you're somebody who wants to, you know, present different viewpoints that could benefit both sides, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're just, you're going to get shit on. Uh, so I've learned how, I've learned how to keep my mouth shut over this last little while because and even being in public and watching people, like, scurry around like mice when you get too close, this is something, and the way this has been created for us, society right now, it's tough. It's, it's tough for me to deal with. Like, you know, to, to listen to people on the air who have jobs in the radio talk about, you know, I'm never going to shake someone's hand again for as long as I live, is, that's scary. Like, I, I can't do that. The thought of me not being able to look at somebody in the face and, you know, in the eyes, sorry, and shake their hands when I greet them, like, I, that would be a Yeah. Uh, to try and do, but you know, I, I've learned that that if, if you're not looking at it one way, then, 
and you're insensitive and, and you don't care about people and, and you want people to die, you know. You know, it's funny you say that. I, I think it does stem, however, from a clear bias, especially in media, especially in U.S. media. And where is that voice to say it's okay to have a different point of view? And, you know, with... Here as well. I mean, it is here as well. It's just, it's sneaky. You, you know what? It is and it isn't. And I, I don't know if we can uh, separate ourselves from... Uh, an American uh, from American uh, issues that take place, American uh, stories. Obviously, uh, American media is so prevalent here in in Canada, but we do have we as Canadians. I mean, especially I, I'm sure that you think the same way. We have uh, a certain uh, moral set of standards and guidelines, and it's different in uh, every country, of course, as well as the United States. There isn't anybody to just take the uh, other person's point of view. And it's funny. I, I can't remember if I brought this up, uh, but I, I just really love the the uh, observation of one American sportscaster who is living in Canada. And he said that a lot of people forgot what it was like to disagree. And maybe maybe because the other side of the argument is a lot more... Um, a lot more, obs- I don't know if obscure is the right word, but a lot more um, to another side, say uh, a Republican point of view these days are is a lot more pronounced uh, during uh, these days of the Trump administration as opposed to, to Bush. I mean, that's the best way and the di- most diplomatic way uh, I can say that. But as you see... Uh, people and uh, media outlets that show allegiance to one side of the argument. And, you know, the media is not uh, policing uh, both sides of the aisle. The federal governments are not uh, doing it either in a number of countries. And I I think that's a huge problem. And I, I am confident that one day that we are going to be able to appreciate somebody else's uh, different point of view. But also as well, it's just that the conspiracy thing theory angle. I mean, there, it's it's way too uh, it's way too vast a, a topic to talk about. But it, when you and I were going through the motions in our various ra- radio c- careers and uh, so on, there there was something about verified journalism, and uh, these days I think it's just gotten way off course uh, i mean i could appreciate a good conspiracy theory and a good uh, and a different angle and so on but to say that one outlet is more uh fact finding than another because they're not on the mainstream is something that i can't really wrap my head uh around well it's a different time obviously we have so many different um, here's the thing, I think uh, Donald Trump's presence in our life right now as President of the United States it has made the opposite just equally as crazy, if not more crazy than, than, than Trump and his antics and how he conducts himself. But, you know, he's still got a job to do and he's still trying to do his job. I mean, like I said, I, you know, I would never get into the blame game of politicians and how 
how they handled it. And I don't think it's about conspiracy theories. I think it's about, it shouldn't be a bad thing to ask some questions, right? It shouldn't be a horrible thing for us to question things. I question if the social distancing, if the physical distancing has really worked. Has it really been that effective? I, I have questions about that. I don't know the answers to that. I have no idea, but the, the more I think about it, the more I see how, you know, how everybody's been at home for the last three months, and yet the numbers continue to spike. Well, where are the majority of those numbers in nursing homes? So let's put a radar there. Let's focus there. Why are so many people in nursing homes? How careless has it been in these nursing homes, in these long-term care facilities, and we are allowing this to happen? You know, like, why does the governor of New York, at the beginning of this pandemic, say, you know, if, if someone from a retirement home goes to the hospital and gets tested positive for COVID-19, they should be returned to the nursing home. What a stupid decision that was. Those are our most vulnerable. These are the people that we should be protecting the most. And it appears that we haven't been. So take that and then ask some questions. Were we doing it the right way? Maybe we should have tried it like Sweden. Maybe we should institute the herd immunity um, concept where we allow it to pass through us, the younger and the healthier people. But it's, you know, you're deemed insensitive or you're deemed crazy if you ask those questions. You know, like, you know, are all these deaths COVID-related? Are doctors being pressured to put COVID on the death certificate? You know, these are questions that are legit, in my opinion, to ask. You know, are we making this into this mass hysterical doom and gloom from start to finish. And if you watch the news, it's all it is, right? It doesn't have to be CNN or Fox. You put on CP24, and it's the same thing. And the next day you get an article that tells you if you fart, you might get COVID. Right? <laughs> well, and, and, that's, and that's the thing too, right? I, I, it's that there's a, there's a lot of uh, published reports out there that can be found on the internet. Um, and where it comes from and what kind of uh, validity it has, uh, you know, that's that's my problem uh, for sure. At the, and, at the end of the day, for me, my point is simple. Why can't we ask questions anymore? It feels like we can't. And, and there's, there's outlandish stuff I've seen through Facebook on YouTube, and whether you want to believe it or not, you know, it, it, it's always up to you. But the fact that YouTube has taken some of this stuff down, I mean, like that's that's about as China as it gets, does it not? Like about as North Korea, that, like does that sound like a democracy, freedom, freedom of speech type society? Like it's scary to think that you know here we are in this part of the world, and and some of this is happening. It, it's it's scary, but it's it's it has started getting there for a while now. It's just not now, and it and it wasn't even Donald Trump's presence. I mean, this started happening. You started seeing this happening in our society. It was creeping in a little bit um, over the last decade, really, slowly but surely. And I don't know if it's because of social media. I don't know if people are just, you know, nuts. I, has, or maybe it has been Donald Trump. Maybe he has just made, you know, the opposite side so crazy, makes their blood boil. Like, you know, you know how sometimes when your blood is boiling and, and it's difficult to be the better person, Right? And just react and you sure. do to the same level. That's what we're seeing a lot of. I mean, I, I get I get into some Twitter conversations at times and 
And just how, like, just how ignorant people are the way they respond to you on certain things. It's like, well, okay, well, I guess there's no room for a discussion here, so take care and have a good day. Um, yeah, that, that's, like, far gone. And that's, that's what's the scariest about it. And here we are talking about a pandemic, but it's become so political that it's almost, you almost forget that there's a virus going around, right? I mean, I, I'm rambling on, sorry. <laughs> well, you no, know, I mean... Uh, it's been bothering me for a while. No, but I mean, hey, uh, we're definitely going to learn a lot. And uh, I guess Sweden is one of, uh, is one country that has uh, taken a very drastic uh, change in uh, potentially trying to get things back to the way it was. It'd be interesting to see how uh, that country uh, uh, comes out of this, especially in the months after uh, relaxing their... There is no perfect way here, and nobody nobody saw it coming the way it did. I get that. And so therefore, like I, like I said, I, I choose not to criticize our leaders on how they handled things. I mean... Maybe you should have been a bit faster. Maybe you should have focused on old age homes a little bit more and, and whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to start getting back into some kind of normalcy. Yeah, and uh, hopefully it's uh, it's sooner than later. So, yeah. Tony, uh, once again, uh, for everything uh, that now I, I as I said uh, in the beginning of uh, this episode, uh, I really do tip my hat to you, your colleagues. Um, in every department uh, for those who are essential workers uh, who've been working throughout uh, this pandemic. Uh, really want to thank you for everything you've done, uh, especially with this podcast as well. Couldn't have done it with uh, without you. And uh, I'm really appreciative of everything you've done. I hope you and your family are doing well. And uh, thanks a lot for joining me, man. Anytime, my friend. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for the nice words. And stay safe. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. That is What's Up, the Sports Podcast contributor, Tony Antonio. We'll be back after this. Again, my thanks to Tony Antonio for joining me today. I hope you did catch the entire episode as part one is available for download if by chance you didn't hear it. So uh, that'll do for this edition of What's Up The Sports Podcast. However, at this time, I would like to take an opportunity to uh, acknowledge and share my thanks to six great Canadians. It was just over a week ago where four members of the Royal Canadian Air Force and two members of the uh, Navy were killed in an accident off the coast of Greece. And it is individuals like these who uh, sacrifice their lives and their well-being in order to provide the life that we are so thankful for here in this country. To Captain Kevin Hagen, to Sub-Lieutenant Abigail Cobro, to Captain Brendan Ian McDonald, Master Corporal Matthew Cousins, to Sub-Lieutenant Matthew Pike, and to Captain Maxime Miron Morin. We will never forget, and on behalf of Canadians everywhere, we thank you so much. Once again, This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. I am Randy Coure. We'll talk to you next time.